0: Hi, friends. My name is Jonathan. i listening to the Zeitcast. I don't really know how to set up for you what you're about to hear. I haven't really seen or experienced anything quite like it before. So I just hope that you can experience something of the electricity that we felt in this space a little while ago don't really care if you like comment or subscribe, please just listen to this. And if you find freedom in it, if you find liberation in it, if you find something in the sound that you think somebody else needs, pass it along. But I just hope that somehow you could hear something here with defenses down and heart open that will sweep over you and into you in the way that I know we felt this in real time. Thanks for joining us again on the Sidecast. Well, I want to start by saying good evening to the people of Instagram. If you're listening via audio, hello, whatever time of day that it is. I'm so excited about doing this for so many reasons. Anybody who has been connected to me for any period of time whatsoever knows all about the right Reverend Joel Everson. (laughs) And they know you. Now, Joel actually wears more hats than any person that I know. One thing's I always say about Joel that I think you all appreciate. Hello, Joseph. It's good to see you, my friend. Awesome. I'm already seeing folks come on that I love. One of the things I love most about Joel is that I'll put it like this. About the time when I'm getting up really early, when I'm getting up early for me, it's like, oh, it's 4.35 a.m. I need to start to day. Joel is already mowed the lawn by then. <laughs> it's it's a supernatural gift. All the things he's able to accomplish. He wears many hats, but many of our folks know Joel from his time producing the Zycast and make it sound really amazing. Because then he's making the music, he's producing in every way. Obviously, now it does not sound nearly as good. But part of the reason that Joel is busy doing other things is this extraordinary thing behind me, which is, and I don't think I'm just being biased here. y'all. this is the coolest bourbon bar in America. Have you ever been to a bourbon spot than this? <laughs> well,
1: I am, I am biased. Uh, so I, I will, I, I don't know that I can say this in an unbiased way, but we're, we're really, really grateful. Uh, almost. Almost 15 years in the making. Tosh and I found notes mm. in our like journals from 15 years ago of like wow. what if, the what if kind of stuff. Wow! Uh, so to see that happens, pretty darn cool.
0: And you know what they're doing 15 years ago? They were having multi-hour prayer meetings before church <laughs> and all the things. That's right. And all of it. Hey, uh, I'm not sure my friend is who's is that opera. I'm not sure the right way to pronounce that. Please come and please seriously come to us, Green Castle, Indiana. So about 45 minutes outside Indianapolis. Yeah, that's right. And there's this extraordinary space for community. And um, yes, <laughs> there there are spaces like this outside right. of Kentucky. It actually it right. actually happens. So I want to do this for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, of the many hats that Joel wears, getting to do ministry together and uh, being in the context of Gobin United Methodist Church, which is a wonderful, wonderful community. Hi, Kevin. So, Kevin, that's perfect. I'm glad you're here Um Joel preached this sermon a couple weeks ago. Now, to contextualize, I've heard an awful lot of sermons on the woman at the well. I mean, I've heard a lot of sermons on the woman at the well, and I've heard a lot of sermons on the woman at the well from great preachers. And truly, I have never heard anything that just turned me inside out the way Joel's sermon did a few weeks ago. I cried. I literally cried through half. By the by the beginning but like the beginning of the second half i realized i'm weeping and there's no going back it was Mm -hmm. so poignant and um if this context feels strange to anybody that's part of what's special about this to me is that this is what we do is what we've been doing for years is uh drinking bourbon which (laughs) by the way parties are fast bourbon is slow that's right you don't pound this stuff that's right you don't get drunk out of your mind. You savor the flavors
1: and the color and all the things. That's what that's what happens here at the list. Well, at I mean least. that's that's exactly right. Uh, particularly when you're thinking about you know uh, not to uh, textualize all of this with scripture and verse, but taste and see.
0: Taste and see. Uh,
1: it, it is that that version of uh, and so much of uh, what what people imagine with um, spirits, right. uh, if you will, is is the effect of it, which is the opposite of taste, uh, yes, which is why yes. I always, when we're leading our, uh, whiskey tastings, I always talk about the difference between, uh, whiskey and vodka, and not to mm. shame any vodka lovers out there, but, um, but you know, the vodka, the difference is they vodka, they keep distilling it until right. there is no taste uh, yeah. until it's flavorless and odorless. And that's why the correct way to make sure vodka is, to just pour directly in the toilet uh, is what we (laughs) worship again. I I say that, uh, you know, uh, certainly joking and respect to all of our vodka lovers, but that's, there's something about bourbon that it's about savoring the flavor. It's about sipping and it's about doing it slow. And and for me, there's almost no way that what we're doing here is not connected to what Mm -hmm. I feel like the spirit has always been doing and is doing now.
0: Yeah, Uh, and who are we to argue with God's word uh, taste and see the one and is tea. good. This is yeah, the Psalms, exactly. people. Yeah, well, right. the one's making this up here. That's right. So, uh, oh, someone just said I keep trying to look behind to see if there's a bottle of E.H. Taylor. Oh, there's it's definitely H. Taylor back here. Yeah. Probably a few
1: different variations. Yeah, I think I think right now we've got two hundred and sixty or seventy unique bottles on the bar um, of bourbon and rye. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Colonel Taylor was definitely one of the generals in
1: God's time. <laughs> so,
0: um, so a couple of things that I hope happened here tonight, like at this time in this space, in this podcast, that sermon was so illuminating. Mm. And there's this could sound like making a pun. It could sound like being funny. And then I realized I'm really not being funny about it. Mm. This wonderful refrain that Joel had in the sermon, which is straight from the text, and... John P Key just said, I love you, sir. John P Key, that I love amazing. you. That
1: is amazing. John
0: P. Key and him. John P. Key is literally like one of my favorite humans, and your music has been the soundtrack for my life. You're changed, amazing.
1: Changed my life.
0: You know, you you don't even understand how like these white people in Indiana right now have been shaped, John P. Key, by the rumbling sound of your organ and your choirs. Like right. this is like in my this is in my soul. So
1: true the- true story that Tosh and I had with the bishop. Uh, you know, you know I met this bishop in which we're talking about songs. And he said, well, if it's up to me, we'd be doing some John P. Key. This is actually a true story. And, yeah, and I said, yeah. me too. Let's do it. Yes. I can't
0: make story. sense in my life apart from John P. Key. That's the truth. You yeah. Know, like, that's right. And I think I've told you, Reverend John P. Key, I think I've told you this before. And I, this just feels like the right context to bring it back around again. Cause I'm the one else I would talk about this. When I was 16 years old, I was working at a little Christian bookstore in Gastonia, North Carolina. You know where it is, right outside Charlotte. So I'm working there, and I remember this woman coming in. She was probably 60-ish, and she asked me, keep on, I'm 16, coming from my little rural Pentecostal mm-hmm. context. She asked me, she said, like, son, where is your gospel music at? And I, <laughs> I brought her the section where we had Lardo Heresies. <laughs> and she says to me, she said, like, boy, I didn't ask you where your black singers are. I asked where the black gospel was. And I was like, oh, she's, and she said, I'm talking about John P. Key. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> and I played, I absolutely, I took multiple John P. Key CDs home that night and played it I was like, oh,
1: this key is key not one. what Larno Harris is doing.
0: <laughs> that's, that's <awesome. laughs> it's a whole
1: different thing. Yeah,
0: awesome. so so ha- so happy to see you on tonight my elder and my friend that's amazing but in this sermon joel you have this amazing refrain mm. that jesus is thirsty and honestly not trying to be clever i think i've sat at this bar enough times with enough different kinds of people mm. and seen the power of when you when someone asks for a drink and to see the actually deeply spiritual, profound things that are happening in the space. And it's like, okay, not only do we need to talk about this, we need to talk about this here, where I'm seeing something of the miraculous conversation, of, which, by the way, the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anyone in the New Testament, because yep. she's the woman as well, Yeah. where I feel like I'm bearing witness to the power of that here. Mm. It's happening here. And even though you didn't talk about that overtly in that sermon, I felt yep. like... It, those experiences very much were there.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And and for, because for me, I mean, uh, and and even the fact that you know I'm thinking about this now that we're sitting, you know, the bar is is behind us, mm. and um, I I always think about uh, that that the bar is it's 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 this great unifier and equalizer, and it's this mm. space in which um, you know people people leave. The bar, and and this is just even from my own experiences. Tosh and I would travel uh, and do music. We would always want to sit at the bar. There'd be an open table, and say, mm. "No, no, no, we'll wait for a seat at the bar," because we would walk away from the bar knowing intimate details about people's lives whose mm. last names we didn't know. Wow! And there's this sense of story that happens, and there's this sense of like when you when you sit down, there's a common thirst that mm. it, that is just it's it's human.
0: Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. like
1: that—that's the woman at the well story. That Ooh. sense of, of Jesus says, "I'm thirsty." She's—he uh, then begins to talk to her about her thirst. There's right. this unifying and humanizing factor um, that I think is deeply connected to, to the Lenten season. That—that mm. that there is—if uh, if you're needing permission to be thirsty, yeah, yeah. this is the, this is the season. If you're needing permission to to, to ache. And to feel yes. something in your bones that yes. says, I need something that, that is different and, and from another place. Yeah. That's what Jesus is talking about, which is the layers of this. I, I read a rabbi that said there's, um, according to rabbis or Jewish scholars, 14 or 15 different layers of meaning mm. happening within this story. Mm. He's talking to her about water, but there's something yeah. deeper. There's uh, this, this echo, there's this resonance of the spirit that's being discussed. Ooh.
0: My friend Tabitha Mason said Jesus is thirsty and him the cross says I thirst. Yes. I love something of this. Yes. The human Jesus who That's even right. dying moments says that I thirst. There's That's something right. about this very physical, non-metaphorical, yeah, like incredibly concrete act of right. sitting down over a drink. And something about the eyeball to eyeballness. That's yeah. another thing I've seen here is I yep. feel like you know, the central scandal of the ministry of Jesus and the Gospels is that Jesus always eyeball to eyeball with people that he's not expected to be eyeball to eyeball with. That's and I think exactly that, right. that, that's part of the power of this of these kind of spaces is the capacity to be seen and known. That's right. Which I've seen over and over again here is people feeling seen and known in in ways that they haven't felt seen and known anywhere else.
1: Yeah, and 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 again, not to uh, to be you know, self-referential, but just to, to, to speak to the story that's, that's shaped and formed me and, and that we're still, um, seeing play out all the time over and over and over again. We see, we had this incredible story just a few weeks ago where, Mm. um, somebody, uh, came in, um, and I, I don't know them, uh, very well, but I know enough about them to know that, um, from probably a, a pretty, um, conservative, or conservative kind of adjacent uh, context and uh, sat down uh, next to someone who is, is of, you know, openly and drastically different perspective. Mm. And what was fascinating is sat down next to one another and, you know, again, over the course of 45 minutes or so, as people would leave, there was a common refrain Mm. of, I love you Mm. as people would leave the first time this person uh, heard it, uh, he said, well, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard of a bar mm. people saying, I love you. Yet 15 minutes later, he looked at this person who he just met, who I, I'm confident uh, come, they come from different ideologies yeah. and different frameworks and said, I love you. Mm. And so to me, again, there's just this thing that happens. And, and, yes. and I know that can sound glib. And I know that there's no way to, to even, golly, there's no way to even, give language to this without it sounding like well you're just talking about people having some drinks yeah but it's deeper than that um, it's an ache yes and yes. and there's that sense in which is as, as people begin to identify with one another's story and uh, and so that's to, to the text that's what I think is actually happening And that's why mm-hmm. I think it's so egregious that then we have shamed this this wow. woman yeah yeah and we have we have robbed her of her name mm-hmm, and we have robbed mm-hmm. her of her story. We've robbed her of the way that she is impacted, yeah. um, you know, our particular tradition, yes, yes, yes. but because in doing so, we've tried to say that that story doesn't matter. And we've mm-hmm. tried to impose upon her a story that actually frames her in shame, which is the opposite of what wow. Jesus was doing the whole time.
0: Wow. Somebody just shout for me, wherever you are, just go and run the aisles because <laughs> I can't tell you how great I think this is. And I, but I, you know, in terms of sounding glib, I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, well, the one below, these things are so in the water, yes. people don't even think about them. That's right. I heard the woman at the well preached about forever. And all I ever heard this, because this is my depiction like years ago, probably 15 years ago, I first like had this little riff and I would say it to be funny, but I, it's also what I think is true. That when I saw the woman at the well, <laughs> that what I heard was she sounds like one of Marge Simpson's sisters on The Simpsons. <laughs> Like chain oh smoking, yes. and she's like a truck, uh, a truck stop hooker. And Hoover comes in. She's like, "Hey, boys!" It's <laughs> like it's very like, <laughs> yeah. but, and it's like none of that is in the text. None of that is in the text. Like nothing suggests that she's promiscuous. Nothing yep. suggests that's that her. anything that's happened in her life is her fault. Yep. Can you say a bit more about that? Because I th- now I see like how weird it is. This woman has become someone of ill repute. Simply from these wildly conjectured stories that like don't even get a country mile within anything that's in the text.
1: Yeah, so so it's really fascinating. I mean, number one, you know, the the text of John is the only text that that includes this. Yes, and and I love uh, our our friend Brad Jerzak's riff mm-hmm. on this about how you know J- John is later in his life and he's sitting around and they come to him and say, "Do you have anything you want to say?" And he's mm-hmm. like, "Well, I think everything's been said," and then goes, "Well, wait a minute." They didn't talk about Nicodemus mm. and they didn't talk about the woman at the well. Right. And some of these things that, that now are so vivid in our minds, but we only find in John's account. Yeah. But it's in the framework of John presenting a revolutionary, uh, uh, ex- uh, a completely inclusive gospel, yes. a gospel that widens out the Genesis story and retells it in a way that says all people are God's people. Yeah, And so John is doing this and he does this specifically with the woman at the well, where it we frame it in the idea. In fact, people have even said she's there at the noonday, which right. is a strange time in Samaria to be for a woman to be at the well, mm. because she was ashamed of her promiscuous lifestyle.? Right. But the reality is, the only thing Jesus and her really discuss is that she's, she's been divorced numerous times, which mm. we know historically and culturally, first of all, religiously and culturally, Divorce was not right. a sin. Divorce was not something in that culture that was looked down upon. So we know that we yeah. also know that if it did happen, that she was divorced, cause it doesn't say she was divorced. It just mm-hmm. said she had other hus- had previous mm-hmm. husbands. If this was the case, the husbands were the ones divorcing her. Right. So right. At, at the very least, if divorce is the case, number yes. one, she wouldn't have been shamed for it. Number two, it would have been that she was abandoned by five different men. And she was at the well because of a sense of cultural shame, because yeah. there might've been Ooh. the context where people said, mm. there was something about this woman, a black mark of sorts was put Mm-mm. upon her. Mm-hmm. Now you add to that the other layer where we in base, between the sixth and eighth century, there was an actual concerted effort within the church to demean women's stories. Mm. And so there was a literal effort wow. to remove her name. There was an effort to change the story and the most powerful way for patriarchy to demean women has always been to sexualize them. Ooh, oh. And so we know Ooh. that the next step is always going to be to say not only is she someone who has been abandoned by multiple yes. husbands, but she was abandoned because she was somehow promiscuous. Yeah. And so yeah. in doing so, it allows and empowers patriarchy to remain control, to hold Mm -hmm. that they are the apostles and she is lesser than rather than the apostle to the apostles, which is what we know she was. Mm.
0: Tabith said, imagine that the woman publicly carrying the whole shame of what was done to her. So this is the thing. It's the same thing that happens with Mary Magdalene. That's exactly right. And I feel like, you know, I feel like this is a word and my wife's preaching with me right now and that makes Mm. me really feel encouraged (laughs) where this is such a word right here. Yeah so the very fact that in texts like john four, the woman of the well, that someone we a little bit of context will just melt our brains on all this yep. it's like oh wait a second a woman could not initiate divorce yep so someone who's been married five times the one she's with now is not her husband does not suggest promiscuity in, in any way it would suggest if anything extreme tragedy that's right But the fact that this lands where it does for so many people, and this is where I feel like this is such a word right now, it says more about them than it says about you.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Can I just preach that? It says more about them than it says about you. That's right. It's like, no, no, no. What this shows is the character of the folks who are reading this text. That somehow you can read a story of pain, tragedy, dehumanization, and all the ways she experienced, and yet turn that into something is like, this person is the one who should bear the shame. That's right. I think this says so much about how so many of us read scripture that become authoritative. It's like, oh, I read it in the word. You read in the word what you wanted to read in the word. Right. You saw what you wanted to see, and it's like a Rorschach test. It's like an right. ink, like the ink box. Like what you're seeing is a projection of what's inside of you, far more than what's inside right.
1: the text. Because because the reality is, and 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 I can't say this emphatically enough you cannot find a single instance in the gospel where jesus meets someone mm. in pain and introduces shame condemnation or exclusion come on it doesn't happen come on. so jesus is never going to meet someone whose story is is tragedy yes. and introduce shame yes. so even the way we read this story if we start with the idea that jesus uh, excuse me, this idea that this woman, uh, what she has done wrong, because somehow, of course, it's her fault. Mm. Mm. And, of course, it's sex. Uh, then the idea <laughs> is that when Jesus meets this, <laughs> then he has this chippy attitude putting her in her place mm. rather than a Jesus that goes out of his way. Actually, the, the scholars say that when it says he needs to go through Samaria, what it means mm. is there there was a driving wind of the yes. spirit at yes. his back. Yes. He went out of his way to have this type of high-level conversation that actually demolishes mm. the boundaries. Mm. This is this is a flipping of tables conversation yeah. where he's dealing with somebody who clearly had enough clout and weight in her community mm. that when she goes to tell the story of the gospel mm. they listen and follow. Mm. This is not someone who they despise. This is not a, the, the right. this is not a local uh, uh, you know, shamed person who has a promiscuous right. story, uh, uh, promis uh, story, promiscuity. Excuse me. Where they won't listen to her, they listen to yeah. her to the degree that the man that they've never met, her story is so strong that the man that they never met, they follow what he has said through her, and mm-hmm. that's the thing that I think is so powerful <laughs> for all of us is if we can hear this, yeah, this the moments of being shamed is because yes. in reality, when yes. when power and when empire and when patriarchy and when white supremacy are confronted with our stories that change the world because they're hearing mm-hmm. what has happened through you because the world is thirsty. That's right. And so when we're around Jesus, Jesus begins to talk to us at that thirst level. We yeah. carry that out and yeah. they don't know what to do with it. So they're only answer is to erase it. Yes, that's right. But Mm. we believe a gospel that says that cries out from the ground. You can't erase that. Yeah, yeah. So this story cries out from the ground, and we have no choice but to listen.
0: Mm. Mm. Joel, I know this. I don't want to just preach to the choir, and Mm. I know that folks who aren't inclined to think this way are not going to be inclined to hear this, but I feel like this is like a skeleton key for so many things that are happening Mm. in culture right now. Okay, so part of I don't want to cut too much punchline, but my sense is from so many people that we know and who we talk to um, who really are not what they're talking about, what they're living is not about sex.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And yet it is from people who have a certain kind of piety, a certain kind of religiosity around shame. They narrate it is where like everything's about sex. I believe I recall reading somewhere to the pure, all Mm -hmm. things are pure, but to those who are defiled. And that's more and more what I'm thinking about, where it's like, you know, y'all folks are the only people I know who are making everything into something dirty. That's right. And making everyone into something dirty, when the reality, it's just not there. And I, I just think that that's so powerful the way you're talking about this in this text that people bring these projections that's right. that say far more about what they're thinking about. That's right. And I really would like to punch that home. It says so much more about what they're thinking about than even one of the woman the well actually says, or that John in writing this gospel is saying about her. That's right. And yet they feel like, well, this was what the Bible says. No, this is not what the Bible says. This is at the front of your brain. That's right. And this is part of the reprogramming, I think, for some of us is coming to see that, like, some of these assumptions about who's sex crazed. Who's, I don't know. So I said, no, no, like, we're the ones who are sex crazed, which is why we're making these very sharp dividing that's right. lines. That's right. When none of that's in the text. It's just nowhere near
1: there. It, to the degree <laughs> that in this story, Jesus never even speaks to her. He never right. tells he never tells her that she is sin. Yes,
0: yes. He never yes. he never
1: addresses so we assume even I've heard like the, the diet versions of patriarchy <laughs> yes. and misogyny at work, where it's like, well, he maybe that is true, but he still tells her that you mm. know there's something going yeah, on because yeah, that man yeah. at her house and yeah. all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, wait a minute. He never says that. Mm. Actually, what what we think is happening is something. Far more powerful and prolific, where Jesus, a rabbi from this uh, Jewish tradition, goes out of his way and is mending this thing because what mm-hmm. we think and scholars now believe that the the um, what was happening is the the priests of this Samaritan, this Jacob's mm-hmm. Well place, was where the priests of this uh, religious order would gather to yeah. serve. Wow. So Jesus is having some type of interfaith conversation about how all people are God's people. All ground is holy. And that what is actually happening is that spirit is gratuitous and completely democratic Mm. and given to all without Mm. measure, which I think Mm. I read that somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All flesh.
1: So now what happens is there's this sending out that happens where I don't even really know if it changes her message. Mm. It just ends up changing the way we see the thing where the truth has always been the truth. Yeah. And, and so I I love that because again, it's this, it's this bigger context, Mm. but the problem is when we start with the idea that she has something to be forgiven for. Yes. Yes. It is y'all. I can't say this clearly enough. Her problem is not sex. Ours is. (laughs) Holy Ghost, it's just that simple.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: Because when we decided to mm. to to cast a narrative on top yeah. of on top of this sainted woman who yeah. is sainted by the church, oh, this is the sermon. With, keep going. This 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 is where I I wept at this. So so what we know is that for for the Christian within the Christian tradition, this woman who we have we have. Uh, considered nameless, anonymous. Mm. We have taken her voice away for the Christian church for the first eight centuries. And now still to this day in the Eastern Orthodox Church, her name is St. Fotini. Mm. She has a name. She has a name. Her name is actually the one who brings enlightenment and the one who opens mystery. Mm -hmm. And we know that she, when she was sent out uh, after her conversation with Jesus, she goes to her her village and begins to share about this, something happens and they begin to see differently as well. She's eventually called by the spirit to go and prophesy and stands in the face of Mm. Nero, Mm. the emperor of Rome, which is considered by many historians, one of the most vicious and violent uh, emperors and rulers in history. She prophesies the truth to him. Mm. He actually has her arrested, has her eyes plucked out has her feet amputated and mm. throws her down a well where she lives for 30 days without food or water. Mm. It's according to the tradition. Wow. Here's the thing. And here's why there is, we cannot emphasize enough that when God is looking to do a thing, God yeah. looks at women.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: God looks for people who've been marginalized and oppressed because at the bottom of this well, when St. Flotini hears that Nero's son mm. is on his deathbed, mm. she has to be raised from the well where she's taken to him, mm. prays for him, and he's raised from his deathbed. Mm. Because women have a tendency. Ooh. Women have a gift to up in these structures mm-hmm. and to absolutely disrupt the way things are supposed to work because they have mm. over and over and over again demonstrated that in the face yes. of oppression, in the face of violence, in the yes. face of marginalization, in the face of patriarchy, trying to force a story on them that is not their own. Yeah. They have recycled that as forgiving love over and over and over again and brought healing in the yes. face of catastrophe because they have chosen to be wounded healers, not wounded herders. Mm, this oof, is the story wow. of women, and this is the story of St. Clotini.
0: And yet, and I tell you, Joel, this is so like, I, I don't know if I'm closer to shouting or um, just weeping here. And April, that's so powerful. Thank you, friend. Um, that's a story of i comment. I'm just so thinking about how the implication of this and I was so moved by that that day, is that in the Eastern Orthodox tradition she's named, she has a name and she's celebrated. But like for some of us, whether this agenda is above ground or not, Yep. There's a reason for her not to be named. Yeah. There's a reason for her not to have particularity. There's a reason for us not to discuss the particulars of her story. That's right. Because it doesn't go the way- That's right. And strangely, I think we'd want it to go. I mean the woman, when you talk about her credibility, the credibility she has to her village, to her community, when she goes back and says her whole testimony is up in a line. She goes back to where she's from and she says, yes. I met a man who oh, told yeah. me everything I've that's ever did. That's right. And it's clear in that text that this is good news. This is good news. It's the best possible news. I that's met right. someone who knows everything about me. End of sentence. That's right. And the fact that we that's where the line ends. But then the way people talk about the steps, yeah, that it right. becomes, I met a man who told me everything I've ever done. And they translate that as he used some kind of magic that's right. to show me all of my sin. I hope somebody hears the real preaching that's happening right here in this bar. Yeah. Slash community, whatever <laughs> all it is. Dude, this is the thing. Like the fact that then people read that as. That's right. Jesus exposed the darkness to her. That's right. When what she says is like he knew all about it. Can you believe that? And that makes them want to come and believe how that gets translated into a narrative of shame.
1: Man, that says so much more about us. Because because telling her that telling her all the things that she'd ever done, and that in the midst of that, she had nothing to hide from. Yes. She had nothing yes. to run from. She was seen and known and completely whole and completely accepted and completely empowered and, and then sending her out with this mm. healing, life-giving, unveiling, mysterious gift that she already had, yeah. which is quite frankly, the reason Jesus chose to have this conversation with right. this person at this particular well, because that's what this does. And it that whole context matters rather than this thing that her, this story that we cast upon, mm. it, that's the thing that's the most, the most, um, well, quite frankly, I would use, I, I don't think this word's too strong, demonic. That's, that's you know, I don't, I don't actually throw that word around lightly. That's why I actually think this is a demonic thing. Because any time mm-hmm. you see a story put upon mm-hmm. someone that, that actually tries to reinforce a cultural shame to prevent them from being yeah. who their whole self is in freedom, yeah. that is demonic. And that has been utilized by systems and structures mm. to keep people in a posture of shame, because then mm-hmm. if they feel like their story in any way identifies with maybe some things falling apart, this is somebody who is, we know for sure, met tragedy. Things, right. things were, things were put upon her that she couldn't avoid. And whether that is, that is husbands that left or whether likely it's just as likely that these are Husbands that had died mm. due to illness and sickness and war—we don't know. But either way, she was dealing with an internal mm-hmm. black mark of "Am I okay? Mm. Can God ever mm. use me? Can I be? Uh, am I? Am I? Uh, am I worth yeah. being at this well?" Yeah. And Jesus says, "When I'm thirsty for justice,
0: yeah. this Ooh. is what
1: I look for. I'm thirsty, and that's the one." And my goodness, what mm. a story of empowerment.
0: Mm. You know, even though and Joel, on some level, on some level I've preached about this, but not this way. It just, it lends so differently in this perspective, in this light, And it's so like, it, it's hitting me so heavy right now. So if we want to think about this in terms of, um, I don't know, something like very measurable, mm. it's the longest conversation between Jesus and anybody in the New Testament. That's right. And the thing that becomes notable about it and the way people will tell this story is that Jesus was willing to talk to a whore. Yeah. The person who hears for the first time that there is this living water. That's right. The person who hears the words. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of y'all are about who's worshiping it, this mountain, that mountain. Let me tell you, the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit. That's right. The person who hears this, the person who's graced to hear this from the Son of God for the first time, yep. gets denigrated. That's right. And, and 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 well, there's no other way to say it. Slut shame. That's right. Yep. When she's the person who receives this incredible wisdom, and again, according to the, the tradition, goes out and spreads. It. Otherwise, it just it's so it's so beautiful, and yet at the same time, so terrifying. Yep. In terms of like if we believe that the gospels contain the wisdom of God in any form, which I decidedly do, yep. this is what's given to us. That's right. And this is what we turn this into. Like this is what this becomes is that's what you get out of the story.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you're so right. And I think I think again, where we where where I land with this is then we we do have an opportunity. The in the best of that tradition, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah. In the best of that tradition, um, this is still happening where where there are over and over in the sermon I mentioned, um, uh, you know, Mammy Till, Emmett Till's mother, mm. who, you know, is standing in front of an open casket. And I didn't even go into the sermon, the amount of people that the pastor at the church, her or people in her community pushed back. The president reached out to her and asked her, close the casket Mm. so that no one has to see. And she said, no, they need to see. This is decidedly the thing that turned the tide in Mm. the freedom movement during the civil rights movement. And what she did in demonstrating the violence and the hatred of white supremacy in in the face of cameras that Mm. went around the world, she stood in front of the casket where her only baby laid with a mutilated body. And she said, I don't have a moment to hate. Mm. but I will pursue justice with every breath in my body for every moment of my life. That kind of, of courage, which in my opinion, in my uh, tradition, courage is the animating, uh, the animating gift. It's the one that animates the other things so that we can be long suffering and so that we can be faithful. And so we have to have that, that, that fortitude is as Dr. West always points out, we have to have that fortitude that says, no, mm. I'm just not going to look up. Yeah. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to look yeah. back. I'm going to continue to pursue justice at all yeah. costs. Because the reason we do that is because Jesus mm. is thirsty. Mm. Jesus is thirsty. And there's this thing that we see over and over again in peculiar places, in upside down spaces, where yeah. people come in with stories that have been opposed yes. upon them and they've been told i see it all the time i had a 10-minute conversation with with a woman recently mm-hmm. here at the whisk and again this is i'm oh,
0: sharing my,
1: i'm sharing my story Please because do. It's, this is uh, what i ask you to do uh there are so many of these uh, stories in other spaces but um we we were here and she was sitting by herself and i walked past her and uh I could tell that she was crying Mm. and I came back and I just said, hi, my name is Joel. I'm so glad you're here. Um, is there anything you need? Are you okay? And, and she tears running down her cheeks and she said, I've never walked into a room and felt loved before. Mm. And over the next 10 minutes, she told me that she spent the last 25 years in church a church that told her that because she was a woman, she was qualified to lead worship and lead Mm. children's church, but couldn't lead testimony time. Yeah. well, This is a woman that was told that because, uh, because she had experienced a divorce that Mm. she was, she was disqualified from communion Mm. um, over and over again. The reality of it is that there are always spaces where if we will acknowledge this thirst, this ache in our bones, that God will do this thing that unites us and empowers us to carry this thirst to the world. And I'm telling you, it actually causes systems and structures Mm -hmm. to quake. It breaks their brains, folks. I'm telling you, it breaks their brains. Mm. Mm. You know,
0: that's so powerful, Joel. I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm not trying to like throw down the mic here or something, mm. but I might, I might have to actually walk this one off. <laughs> if people have been that wrong mm. in what they've told us about the woman at the well, how wrong are they in what they've told us about Jesus? I'm, I actually, walking, <laughs> I, I'm actually walking this thing out.
1: That's amazing.
0: If they've been that right. wrong That's in what they've told correct. us about the woman at the well, how wrong? Are they what they told us about Jesus? That's
1: exactly right. I'm just saying. <laughs> because the reality is, like, if what we find in the story with the woman at the well... Yes, yes. It's telling us about Jesus. Right,
0: that's right, that's right.
1: We're learning what Jesus, what what a, a, a you know, however many minute conversation mm. with Jesus will do. It yes. will send you into the face of yes. Nero. <laughs> like, are you kidding me right now? Like this is a couple minute conversation with yes, Jesus yes. and this person is empowered for the rest of their life that's to change right. the world and to that's stand right. in front of the most violent empire in yeah. history yeah. and say this is what God and then to pray for healing for his son like that's that's a whole different way mm. Mm. So I, I think you couldn't be more right
0: I don't I'm not saying people are doing it on purpose I don't know if they are mm. but I do feel this way it's like if you'll slander yes. the people who are closest to Jesus, that's then you'll right. slander Jesus. That's exactly right. And and you probably won't need to, but that's always been the idea, right? Is that the yeah. there's something in that crowd spirit of crucifying Christians the accusation, the blame or whatever. That's right. But these things, if we project that kind of vileness onto the people that were the most special to Jesus,
1: that's exactly and right.
0: don't read it as like, oh well, here are the people that God likes the most. Yep. Which how weird is that? I mean, like, because we read these miracles right. in the old testament, and it becomes like, well, oh, oh, look at the way God loves Moses. Look at the way that God loves Je- look at the way God loves the woman at the well. Like, that's this right. is one of those special extraordinary relationships. There's a reason there's more real estate here in the text yep. than anywhere else in the gospels. So that's what we do with it. I just and I, really not try to scramble people's brains too much, but I think it, it for me it does feel like such a word. If if the character witness of the people close to Jesus gets assassinated. Yep. How truthful, even our best, can we be in what we say about Jesus? That's right. If we that badly misinterpret.
1: Well, and and you know, not to go into a whole thing here, but you know, so that it's, it's not without mention that the the first testament text for that Sunday was the story where the people of Israel were thirsty yes. and, and yes. telling Moses that they wanted something to drink. And so Moses is trying to, he's trying to strike the rock and bring forth water. Um, and what we miss from that in our mm. context is the Jewish midrash is deeper than that because the mm. Jewish midrash is that that Miriam was considered by the people of Israel in the wilderness to be the water bringer. Yes. So the precursor to Israel demanding water from Moses and him having to kind of figure it out is because yeah. Miriam has died. Yeah. So when Paul later is talking about the rock that was in the wilderness that was Christ, mm. he's referencing this Jewish Midrash because what Miriam did was, Moses didn't lead the people of Israel across the Red Sea, <laughs> Miriam did. It was her song and dance that yes, led this. them across the Red Sea. It, this is not interpretation, this is, liter- this is this is what it says. This is actually what it says. <laughs> so M- Miriam was someone who was, mm. oh, by the way, who we believe Jesus Jesus mother, the mother right. Mary was named after right. because she was considered to be a revolutionary. So the idea mm. that she was led them across in song and dance and what happened was the Midrash was that this rock would roll alongside mm. of her and as she would sing and dance, water would spring wow. out and they would they would proclaim spring up oh well as mm. water came out of this. So even in that idea, you see this story of Moses striking mm. the rock, but we're missing the whole context, yeah. which is, again, women being removed from the story because the reason they were in this predicament is because the woman with the gift right. of bringing water had had died. Mm. And so over and over, and this is what Paul's pointing to, and, yeah. and I know that Paul can, for a lot of folks, be problematic and say all kinds yeah. of things. My personal opinion, a lot of those things just Paul. No,
0: I don't think so either.
1: But that's another conversation for another time. He's clearly gesturing to this. But yes. so this is why I do think the way we read Scripture matters. Yes. Because if a misogynist reads Paul, Paul is going to be interpreted as a misogynist. Mm, mm, mm. If a misogynist reads Jesus, they're not going to see Jesus as one who is always elevating the stories of women, who is always continuing to empower them as disciples. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi who was doing things that had never been done before. It was revolutionary in nature because he was always, always, always identifying with and empowering the stories of women to be um, really alongside Mm. what he was doing to change the world. Right. Man. And the fact this hit me so
0: hard that we can read those things and those texts about who Miriam was, what she does. Yeah. And Moses striking the rock, whatever. Yep. The only things we get out of it are life lessons. Life yeah. lessons about Moses. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: Y'all, yeah. that's
0: wild. I know. That it all becomes like whatever happens to Moses is instructive. I know. And yet, even when the when women are carving out this space, that's and the right. text is telling us, the text is telling um, Moses missed this. Miriam that, did not. That's right. That it becomes like we're still even Moses issues become. That's right. More worthy of talking about. But I tell you, and man, I'm, I don't know if I've ever felt this any more heat on anything in my life than what's having this conversation. I don't even know. If this is explosive. Part of what I hear in this, Jill, though, like in terms of this sermon, is that... So people read about the woman at the well, and the way they tell about it is that here's a desperate, here's this desperate, lost, broken woman... Yep. ...who's mm-hmm. desperately thirsty for the strength from God. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. But what you preach from this text is that Jesus is thirsty. Jesus is thirsty. Jesus is the one who starts with the thirst, initiates the conversation, goes out of his way to go to a well Mm -hmm. to have a conversation with this woman because the whole point of the text is not Jesus satisfying her thirst, but is that he went out of a well to find a woman who would be able to speak to him and deal with what his thirst is, which we know what it is because the Sermon on the Mount is clear about this. Yes. That that those that hunger and thirst for justice. That's this right. is what That's This is right. what Jesus is thirsty for. Yeah. yeah. And when Jesus desires to have a kingdom, a, a thing from another place break mm. through to revolutionize the world, mm. he looks for people who are willing to in some way identify with this thirst, yeah. Jesus is 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 identifying with in solidarity with the person who's been marginalized, misunderstood, and outcast. Because, oh by the way, what have we been doing with Jesus for mm, the last fifteen hundred mm, years? Mm. Is completely misunderstanding Jesus.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: And so I think it's 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 absolutely that that it's initiated there that there's some sense in which, and I, to me, I I don't know that I, how strongly I want to land here. But I think we could actually say like, historically speaking, when God wants to do a thing, when God is thirsty for justice, who does God go to? Mm.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: And I think that's a reality. And I think there's been a pushback historically, uh, where through the annals of history, we see over and over and over again, that, um, that we just don't know what to do with that. That's right. And That's we right. have to make them nameless and we have to make them faceless and we yeah. have to, to, to remove their stories, which is the very thing that Jesus came to honor, to glorify mm. and to dignify as her story. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm real into this, Joel. I, I don't even know what to say about it. Cause I feel like the very fact that this woman has the longest conversation with Jesus, of anybody we have in the gospels and to get that minimized. It seems like it's, if if we need any evidence of how it is that even the weird way in tradition, she becomes nameless. It's yep. like, well, no, like, well, well, but Jesus puts more weight down this conversation than others. Yep. We get more about her than we do about Nicodemus and yep. say, you know what I mean? Like this, like the weight from Jesus lands on this, but the way we talk about it becomes something completely different. That's right. And this is exactly why, and I, if I can just say it like this, we're, we're not some folks who just got like super woke and it's women's history month and they're like mm-hmm. trying to do something clever. It's like, no, like, I, this just happens to be in the text. I, I don't, it's not because it's some for somehow for my personal edification. No. We don't get points for this, like, nothing like this. No, like, this is just what's happening in the text. In the and that's text. part of what's so maddening about all this. we're like, I feel like these things that are bubbling up in some of us right now, it's more like, Okay, this is the stuff that's actually in the scripture. That's right. That if you want to talk about God being the same yesterday and forever, and a lot of y'all do, (laughs) let's talk about it. Like, yes, the God of the text is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It just so happens that a lot of us have had all kinds of reasons of bearing these things yesterday, and we're bearing them today, and we'll bear them next week, too. Man, I feel the Holy
1: Ghost on that. Well, and, and the reality is, this is this is why I can say even more emphatically that there's there's the God of the Exodus. Yes. Is the God of the tradition because oh by the right, way, when right. the God of the Exodus decided that that God wanted to Exodus. Yeah. Yeah. That God chose Miriam. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. there's that sense that it's like oh, this has always been happening because God has always mm-hmm. been dignifying this story. Yeah. And I think we have to go there and. In the same, I think that we do this with Jesus, but I absolutely think we do this with the um, with the our readings, our various readings of the first testament as well. That's right. Over and over again, we That's see right. we see Dinah, the 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 daughter of Jacob. That's mm-hmm. we don't when we talk about the twelve tribes of Jacob. Yeah, she's not mentioned. We don't we don't think about um, uh, Abishag and mm-hmm. and uh, Abigail, the two uh, wives of David that are that are not mentioned. Mm-hmm. Over uh, Caleb's wife and Aaron's wife. I mean we do this over and over again and we have Mm. such incredible and robust history. So I actually can feel pretty confident to say, because for those of us who are maybe from a Protestant stream, this may be new stuff. It doesn't mean that it's not in the the tradition. That's right. It's it's very, very, very orthodox. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, and I feel like, and I'm empathetic to this, of course, for people where these texts have been weaponized or used in ways and harmful, whatever. Yeah. Then of course the idea becomes... Well, there's something really condemning, something really horrifying within these texts. Mm-hmm. And what I keep seeing over and over again through these same scriptures, it's like, oh, if I can say it just as simply, God didn't do this.
1: Yeah. We did.
0: This yeah. is what we did with these texts. It's a good word. This is not what this is not what the Holy Spirit did. This is what we did. Yeah. Like it's not what's there. Yeah. It's not what's there. This That's is right. what we do with them. And I feel like that just explains. As a person, for whom the word religion is not fundamentally a negative word. There's all kind of great things we say about religion. But I do feel like this really explains how some of these texts, in their most essential form, are about liberation. That's right. Are should be freeing, should open up, right. become things that are constrictive and terrifying. And stuff that people understand and they need to cast off. Yep. Because the interpretation that have been given of them... It, as this is what God is saying, this is what that's God right. is doing. And it's like, no, oh, no, 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 this is actually never what was happening. And if there's anybody who's ever been more rebellious or defiant of these various kinds of interpretations of sacred text, it would be Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And yet we can't read that into the pattern well, of what we see.
1: Yeah, that's a good word. And I think that for me, that's why it's, uh, and I want to say this, I really do want to say this with tenderness because I, I, you know, i a pastor. Uh, I've spent, uh, 20, um, 23 years as a pastor. And so I, I always want to tell people, you know, if, if uh, if the scripture, if church, if, uh, you know, some of the, even the conversation we're having, if that yeah. feels toxic for you that's and something right. that is, um, is that you need to work through, you know, God's with you on that journey. And, and yeah. I just really don't, um, I, I don't think there's any shame in that whatsoever. I, I think you need to absolutely go on that journey. But one of the things that we see with a lot of these, specifically these incredible women is their refusal Mm. to let patriarchy, empire and domination take their story.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: And so I guess part of it for me is just this sense, I wanna do my best to, to listen to, to learn from and be led by the great women of this tradition and in doing so, fight for and advocate for a better reading of the text because it's already there. And I'm telling you, people who are toxic and yes. people who are abusive and oppressive don't get to twist this into something mm-hmm. it wasn't in the first place. That's right. That's they right. don't get to have it. Yeah. And so yeah. um, I, I, while I don't think that's uh, the space for everybody, I think everybody needs to find yeah. their own way in that journey. Yeah. Um, just know that if that's the case for your own story, that they don't get to do that. They don't get to impose mm. upon you shame. Yes. They don't get to impose upon yes. you namelessness or facelessness, uh, or rob from you the beauty of your story. Mm. Um, they don't get to do that. Mm. And that it part of what, uh, you know, I feel so called to and so, um, driven mm. by in this moment is, is not to, to do this on my own, but to follow the example of these incredible women who've already been doing this, and to lift up their examples, mm. because it's there. It's there within the tradition. It's mm. there within the history. Um, and goodness, um, God, God, that we would have that kind—the courage of Fannie Lou Hamer, yes, uh, yes. The, the 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 courage of Dorothy Day, yes, uh, the courage of Shirley Chisholm, and so many mm. others. Uh, we see this even in recent history. Mm. Well, and I.
0: Joel, I, I love that so much about your sermon in terms of, because you did give some of that history and some of those names and who fall in like the lens of this. And yet part of what's been happening to me, I think ever since I keep thinking, I keep working backwards. Mm. And I think about man, the woman with the issue of blood yeah. would have a reason from a certain interpretation of the text to decide that she's impure. Mm. There's Bible for that. Yeah. And she says, no. That's right. No, Yeah. I, I'm, I, will, I will I will. not only push through that crowd, I'll push through that crowd. That's I'll right. push through these interpretations, <sighs> I'll push through these ideas, That's I'll push through these labels in order to get to Jesus. That's the space that she carves out. And I feel like repeating the gospels, those are the stories that we get. Yep. And this gets weird for people I know. And I, it makes me almost hesitant to bring it up even though it's so they're in the text the woman that Jesus seems to dismiss, the Samaritan woman, who um, the whole thing about, the, the woman who says, even the dogs get crumbs from the yeah. table. Sir, woman, who what right. we get in yep. the text is, yep. she's willing to say even to God. Yep. Let yep. me remind you. Yep. Even the dogs, he, like. That's right. And she's lauded. Jesus is like, whoa. Yep. I've never seen faith like this in Israel. That's right. What is even happening here? That's and, right. and so she's, in the actual text, she's a hero yep. because she pushes
1: back on Jesus. That's right. She she advocates for innate human dignity to Jesus and is considered until recent modern history to be a hero of faith because yes. she's the only one that had would actually push back against Jesus and had Jesus recount. Now, I don't know how you work that out. I know that gets tricky, and I know that can be bothersome to some folks. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, I think we have to look at this and say, there's something about people advocating for their own human dignity that Jesus loves, honors, and Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. uh, desires for us. And so, my goodness, I don't know how, again, I don't know how exactly all that works out. But we see this, and this is within the tradition. Yes, she argues with Jesus. It's it's. I heard someone say one time, this is the only time you see someone argue and advocate with Jesus and win.
0: Yeah, you know (laughs) that's that's a
1: fascinating idea. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, But but if nothing else isn't Jesus, then saying. That if something is being put, if there's right. a cultural norm that's been put upon right. you that says that you're less than anyone else and right. doesn't affirm your innate human dignity, wow. you better push against that because that story does not belong to you. <sighs> that story has been imposed upon you mm-hmm. and it is not yours. Mm-hmm. And there's a better story. Mm-hmm. There's a better story. Which is what Jesus has always been saying. There's a better story.
0: I want to be so careful because this matters a lot to me To And I think the way you frame it in terms of Miriam is a great example of how within Mm. the Hebrew tradition and the Jewish tradition that this stuff is already there. And I, around now, I'm approximately my friend Rabbi Pfeffer I talk about like the miracle, uh, the miracles I continue to experience in modern Judaism. So the the point is of course not just casting aspersion on the first testament, but I do find this fascinating. It's so brazenly clear. I mean i feel like when anybody reads our first testament other people christians would call it the old testament you can't get around okay who does god like who does god seem to favor well some people push back uh yeah. abraham argues with him
1: yeah. about
0: sodom and gomorrah by the way why in that text does judgment come through because abraham gives up at 10. abraham's the one who does that god like it like that. at, at, at every point god wins. 50 oh yes yeah because
1: yeah. yeah,
0: right. abraham stops at 10 but like we see that we see Moses arguing with God and God's like, I like this guy. Yeah. That y'all I'm not making this up. It's just, I, if there's any text in the Bible I've studied, it's Job. And one of the things that's so Mm, powerful to me at the end of Job, after Job and his friends have done all their talking, um, God finally talks back. And one of the things God says is he says that Job, unlike his friends, is the only one who's spoken rightly of him.
1: That's right.
0: What's so weird about that is God is, we've had like four chapters of God correcting Job's (laughs) theology. And it's very clear in context, God is not actually saying that Job's theology is right. Job has not spoken rightly about God. God has explicitly corrected Job at like 15 turns And then it becomes what he's done right is he's spoken directly to God. That's what God likes about Job is that Job is willing to go mano-a-mano with God. And part of what I love so much and find so liberative about our Christian New Testament is that that role is over and over again expressly played by the women in the text. The Samaritan woman. Is God. oh she's a little feisty. She's got a little mouth on her. You know what I'm saying? That's how people talk about That's it. Right. She's got a mouth on her. Did she have a little bad attitude? Can you believe she's talking to Jesus like that? Oh, not only can I can you believe it? Jesus loves this. That's right. Though that Samaritan woman, that uh, the, you know, in that conversation, the the crumbs from the table, yep. uh, the the one with the issue of blood. These are those Moses and Job and Abraham characters in the New Testament exactly who are
1: saying, "Yeah, I heard what you said." Yeah. But let me tell you about my experience. That's right. Oh, I I, I don't think you could be more right. Mm. I, I think this is absolutely the thing that's always within the text. And and again, this is why Jesus as a rabbi mm. is, he is doing, he is, he's doing what's always happening within the tradition, which no. is why it is not, it's not antithetical to the first testament at all. That's right. That's he's right. modeling for us yes. the best of the Jewish tradition, yes. which is always uh, you know, this, this revolutionary idea of expanding mm. and blowing things open. It's what Jeremiah did. It's what Ezekiel mm. did. It's what Isaiah did. It's what David at his best did over and over and over again, saying yeah. this version of this is a God who is available to all accessible yeah. to all. And, you know, I, I share, I, it's on my mind. Cause I shared this uh, on our church's um, Instagram today, but, but the reality is if the God that we worship does not uh, you know, uh, empower in eight human dignity, it yeah. is not God and does not deserve our worship. Oh, that's right, yeah. And this is exactly what's been happening within yeah. the best of the Jewish tradition and what Jesus came to yes. emphasize as God in the flesh. Yeah. This is what the incarnate God emphasizes, is that if if God is not uh, affirming innate eight human dignity, it's not God. Mm. And Jesus mm. walks this out, mm. not in any way, as a, as a, um, you know, I, as a pushback right. to the first testament. Yes. But as a walking forward of the best of it, and I feel like that—that's that right. what we're really called to—is how do we model the best of? Again, this mm-hmm. is why I always point to the the black witness of the church because yeah. it, there's this there's this idea that you take the best of the tradition, you move forward with yeah, it, yeah. and you you pull that out, yeah. and that's what's always been happening again, in marginalized communities is there's this carrying forward of the best of the tradition. Yes. yes and this yes. is why, you know, again, I, I recognize that Women's uh, Women's History Month, Women's mm. uh, Empowerment Month is not maybe on our liturgical church calendar. Sure. Uh, but it should be. Should be. Because I think that, you know, when we look at our, I, I know this can sound just like some wokeism, whatever. Yeah. But the reality is if we look at our libraries. That's right. And we don't see uh, people of color. If we don't see women, if we don't see these voices, yes. then we're not following the example of Jesus. And I would say mm. we're not putting ourselves in a position to be available when Jesus is thirsty. Man, man, it's just that simple. Man, preach that
0: when Jesus is thirsty. When Jesus, Jesus is the one that's thirsty,
1: Jesus is the one that's thirsty. That's exactly right. So the idea is if we're not positioning ourselves to be to be listening to and informed Mm -hmm. by that. We're not following the best of that tradition. Quite frankly, we will be the ones confused when Jesus is not at our well, Jesus is somewhere else. And so Jesus is going to go to those places. We will just be confused. And then uh, then what will happen in turn is we will have to come up with another narrative that says that what's happening over there is not of God because we have to come up with a narrative that somehow affirms that what we're doing is right. When in reality, we're living in an absence of the very thing that Jesus has been affirming all along, right. which is the innate human dignity of all mm. people mm. and empowering those who have been oppressed and marginalized and violence has been done against them, yet they've refused to play the part. Yes. They've yes. refused to play that role that's been put upon them.
0: Yes. Oof. And this is why, by the way, folks, that I feel so strong about this point and I feel like I can't punch it hard enough. I don't feel like there's a way I could say this that I feel bad about later because there are all these ways to circumvent the power of these texts and of these stories. And this is one of the reasons why even in my, most, in my common state, I want to pull every hair out of my head when people will suggest that folks need to be doing what well, we have to determine our theology from what we're reading the epistles or Paul, like not from <laughs> Jesus It's like, y'all listen, I, I feel, I feel just, I don't know. I don't think I'm a great Christian, but I feel Christian enough to say this: If folks are trying to tell you not to listen to the Lord of the Church, if yeah. folks are not trying to tell trying to tell you that the one who inaugurates
1: right. God's kingdom
0: or God's kingdom, that's
1: right,
0: the person who gives us the Lord's prayer, the person who dies on the cross for us, no one else died the cross for like that, that's what's so wild about it. It's like that's right. How do these other voices become more authoritative for that's us right. interpretively? than what Jesus says and what Jesus models, which is where I feel like some of this really hits really hard As people are like, oh, well, this is you said that. Oh, oh, no, you see, it does say that. That's right. It says that very directly. That's it right. just so happens that the medium, the form in which these messages are given to us in the gospels That's right. is largely through the form of story. The fact that, thank you, Scott, I love you. <laughs> that makes me happy. The fact that, like, somehow Jesus in such definitive ways illustrates these ideas for us through the medium of story, yeah, and then it becomes, yeah, like, ah, well, you really pay so much attention to Jesus and his stories. Yep. we have these other verses instead of no, this is the way my thing is for Christians, as much as I love the first testament, as much as I love Paul and all that, but I feel like this is foundational for being a Christian. We read these stories, and it's like. Oh, whatever we think about any of that other stuff, comes to the filter of these that's stories. Right. If it that's doesn't right. match, if it if it doesn't live up to these stories, then we have to think about it differently. If these verses, right. individual verses out of context, don't seem to match, that's right. The powerful, clear message of these stories, then we have to say like, oh, well, what is this? I mean, like, if if you don't think Jesus is doing theology, what a ridiculous idea! Like. The, that Jesus is not doing theology in these stories? What do you think that he's doing? It's like, it's like what is he like just happily, like merrily, like painting these pictures for us? It's like, no, that God himself, God in flesh, this is Christian theology, is revealing God, the fullness of God's self. That's right. Through these narratives. And the idea that we don't do these narratives as seriously as how somebody interprets
1: half a verse in Paul, like, come on. And where, listen, listen, y'all. And where, you know, they're full of crap is because when you do this, they'll turn to you and say, you have low Christology.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They'll turn to you and say, oh, well, you just don't have a high enough view of of the work of Jesus on the cross. And it's like, no, actually what I have a high view of is the Lord of the church. Yes. What I have a high view of is the fact that Jesus life and work and ministry is not throw away. Yeah. We don't we don't just ignore all of that for the work yeah. that's on the cross. The reality of it is a high Christology, a, a high view of what Jesus did, yeah. where God uh, is, again, coming into flesh. That's yes. kind of the whole thing that's yes. unique for us as yes. Christians in this particular way, really does affirm that that our humanity matters. Our yeah. story matters. That's right. And, and to put it back in the context of, of this space that we're in. That's why, um, that's why we love this space so much because Tasha always says this, that, that when we know one another's stories, we do less Mm -hmm. harm. Mm -hmm. We just do. We, we, when we hear one another's stories and hear that we're all complex and we're more than one thing and we're all kind of on a journey and in process when that's true and reality lived out in community. And I'm not talking about, Um, In, in Facebook Mm. snapshots and weird gotcha videos. But in real life with people, when we will just sit back and talk about where do you thirst? Where, where are you Mm. broken? Where are you hungry? Where is, where Mm. is the culture trying to shame you for a story that's not even yours? Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. That there's a connection that happens. Mm. And that's what Jesus is always doing. That's what Jesus is always doing. And we should never try to reduce mm. uh, the story of Jesus to some, that's that's why I'm just, uh, while I understand it, I'm I'm just not moved by these uh, doctrinal statements because mm. you just can't reduce no. the work. You can't reduce something like this incredible woman at the well saying, he told right. me everything I've ever done. He talked to me about my life mm. and what's happened. Mm. You can't reduce that to some... Um, tenet of faith. Yes, yes. It's just bigger and deeper and more robust than that, and we see this again in our own lives, played out here over and over yeah. and over again.
0: I know we land this plane. We've been doing this a long time, yeah. and I feel like we'd go all night. And I would respect for your time, and everybody else's. But I'm telling you, I'm so. It's landing on me so heavy right now that, I mean, the essential way that Hebrews sums up. The work and life of Jesus
1: mm.
0: is that he's crucified outside the gate.
1: Yeah, wow. and I feel yeah. like the
0: way that so many people now yep. will denigrate these women, Jesus himself, they're yep. simply reading the Gospels to say, "Yep, that oh that's outside the gate.
1: Yep, that's right.
0: That's too far. That's in the outside. That's in the margins. Like, oh no, this is this is the summation of where the Jesus story lands. He is crucified. His ultimate identification. Yep." he intentionally sacrificed himself outside the gate. That's right. And the fact that we hear things that for us feel outside the gate becomes yeah. a reason to say, well, that can't be God Yeah. because God's in the, inside the gate. No, the whole story has been trying to tell us so long that God is outside, the, outside gate. the gate.
1: That's right.
0: And yet it becomes for us like, a,
1: oh, well, a bit, well that, feels, that feels like a little out there. Well, these stories are a little out there, you know? And And, and, I, and I believe this so much, Jonathan. We talked about this last night. I believe this so much that, you know, when I look at, at where things are happening, mm. where I sense the spirit moving, it's it's in places that are outside the gate. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's over right. and over
1: again, yeah. it's in places that, um, and this is where we see Jesus. I mean, that's you right. see that's Jesus right. doing these things, um, you know, in, in in these strange places out in the wilderness mm. and, and down by the river and these places that he, even John's, uh, you know, quasi-drowning, Ritual yeah, that happened. Yeah. He took it outside the temple. Right, right. You know this. This idea is just something bigger and and broader than we could possibly mm. imagine, and it can't be contained. Mm. Which is which is why whatever gates uh, Jesus. That's why likely why Jesus went outside of Israel, and that's yeah. not in any way to to sure. uh, to be anti-Semitic or demean the Jewish people. He's giving us some indication of a template. Yes. Yes. that whatever the thing is that God is always bigger than that and going outside of that going to the yeah. people that we wouldn't yes. expect. Yes. And so I I just think that we're called to follow that That's and right. that there's if we'll listen if we'll just pay attention we're I think we're all thirsty for that. We're all
0: thirsty. Jesus is embodying what was in the story all along. God said to Abraham, you know, not only I'll make yeah give you a great name and great people but through you all the families of the earth will be blessed it was always about everybody that's right and so jesus what he keeps doing is reinforcing and reminding us of what the universality of god's covenant is from the beginning is this is for everybody and yet what happens i think over time as we get, and like i I don't mean to sound judgmental or whatever else but i feel like this is why because i do think this about honestly about us a lot right now i feel like wherever we go we have such hope right now mm, yeah and we have these stories to tell and i think a lot of folks are gonna look at it sideways and be like
1: <laughs> yeah the
0: world is on fire yeah uh and whether it's mass incarceration school shootings and all these things that are legitimate horrible like how are you on about these things but this is my deal when you're seeing god work outside the gate Nope. And you don't question that. Now, listen, if you don't believe that God is working outside the gate, then yeah. I guess you do effing think the whole thing is burning down. It's true. Because that thing largely is burning down. But like, like I think when you're outside the gate, and you're like, oh, look, out here in the wild, God is doing extraordinary yeah. things. We are we legitimately are like, well, we're not as freaked out because we feel like the very miracles we're seeing, the gospels we're seeing now.
1: That's exactly Whereas for right. other people, it's more like. That's right.
0: Folks aren't coming into the gate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're not coming to the institution. They're that's like, right. whatever. We're like, right. and 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 was God confined and
1: constricted in this institution before? Like, why is this thing to be that's freaked right. out about? You that's know? right. Yeah, and and it's not to be glib about the very real difficulties. That's right. Again, notice that what, what uh, Saint Florentine is empowered to do is to go to go speak to yes. the 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 systems and structures of oppression. Of yes. course. But but um, there's this. In fact, I mean the very the very uh, the basis of all this is that there's mm. this there's there's this hope that just comes from another place, and I yes. don't know why. And isn't that maybe what Jesus was speaking about that that you'll have tasted from this? And 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 I don't think it's saying that you won't thirst again. Yeah, yeah. I think what it's saying is no other thir- no other uh, drink will be satisfying.
0: That's right. That's right. It's
1: that thing. So so mm. to me, when people are like, oh, mm. the, you know. Don't you just wish you could build a megachurch? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, no, I, I kind of really don't. I, I don't have any desire for that. People who
0: say that wish that you would.
1: Yeah. Uh, and wish that they would. Yeah. It's like no, that because when you've tasted when you've tasted something else, it's like everything else just kind of bland. It's it's like good bourbon.
0: It's like good bourbon.
1: And and Turn, it, go ahead and translate that, and we'll break it full circle.
0: is <laughs> it like good bourbon, brothers y'all?
1: Because the reality of it is, there is. When, when you've tasted something that has yeah. complexity and depth, and yeah. that's what Jesus is speaking to her about. <laughs> He's ta- t- speaking to her about uh, something that you, and in some ways, at least this has been the story for me. I encountered something that I didn't even know I was thirsty for. Mm. Mm. I just knew that the thing I had yeah. wasn't quenching it. Yeah. And, and I feel like that that's what I encounter outside of the game. Mm. I feel like mm. that's what we are encountering in these weird spaces. Mm. I feel like that's what we're encountering, having these conversations around a bar that seems so strange. Yeah. Uh, I grew up about as well <laughs> teetotaler as anybody could be. I, I totally can identify with, with folks that would be shocked with this very idea. Yeah. Um, but, but I can say confidently that it's, it's, it's the same wildness of the Holy Spirit Yes. that, yes. that, that uh, I was raised in that, mm-hmm. that just says keep going.
0: That's right. That's right. The, the thirst you never knew you had, yeah. that's so powerful to me because I feel like it's so easy to kind of like, I don't know, um, whatever, it's more like whatever scratches the itch we think is right. Mm-hmm. But this is not about scratching the itch. Mm-hmm. This is about the thirst that when you taste it, it's more like, oh, I, yeah, I had no idea I yep. needed that until I found it. That's right. But there's a lot of things that would scratch my eyes right now that don't necessarily feel like that. But yeah, this is I thought there are all kinds of signs and symptoms. It's time to close the thing down. I'm hearing chimes from the computer, everything (laughs) else. But I really do feel this, man. It's like, no, it's like, okay, so what we keep seeing, Jesus talks about the treasure hidden in the field, that you would sell it all to get right. I think that's why
1: that's right.
0: For some of us out here, this feels so wild. It's like, oh yeah we know nothing we're doing is impressive. We know it have the numbers. We know it as little. Yep. That's fine. You find a thing hidden in the field. and It's like, yeah, forget all that. Like, if, if we get to have this, if we get to taste this, yep. who, who needs any of the others? Like, this is, like, we're drinking the real thing
1: here. That's right. Mm. Yep, And I, th- I think that's the thing, is everything else feels one-dimensional at that point. Yes. It's like, oh, man, there's this resonance that happens that, Man, it's it, it it just changes everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Y'all, thank you so much for being with us. I hope you will make this leap from one dimensional into three <laughs> dimensional. And I do believe we have thoroughly mm. preached the gospel in the whisk here tonight.
1: You did something.
0: Any closing words you want to give to the folks?
1: Mm. With y'all? Well, thank you. First of all, to Jonathan and and all you kind folks for um you know, getting to have this time. This is so much fun. This is, this Mm. is what I couldn't have imagined. This was possible. I feel like that even in this, uh, this moment, this is, um, if this is what revival looks and feels like, then I'm on board. Absolutely. And, and I'm so grateful. And, and I hope that there's a word of hope for you, whatever you might be experiencing. Um, maybe you feel like the woman, Mm. um, at the well who has been, somehow history has said that you're anonymous and said mm. that you're nameless and said that your story doesn't matter. It's taken your voice from you. Um, but just know that you're not. And that, um, those are the very people that, that prophesy into the face of power and that power is, uh, these, these systems and structures mm-hmm. are so scared yeah. of your story. Yeah. Um, that, that they will try to put a story on you that doesn't belong That's to you. Right. But That's what right. Jesus is always doing is affirming your innate dignity, That's right. and saying that um, that there's a thirst that Jesus has, and when Jesus is thirsty, He's mm. looking, comes looking for you. Yes. yes. And uh, so I'm honored to follow your example, mm. and uh, an honor to listen and learn to what what God is is doing and and leading you in. So thank you. And when Jesus is thirsty, I believe that thirst is
0: going to be satiated. It's going to be filled. Jesus is going to get to drink all that jesus wants and and without disparaging the community around um Mm -hmm. this woman the well i have to imagine maybe there were some false narratives there too but that's what's so powerful yes is that jesus speaks a better word yep that is more authoritative jesus speaks a different word than even the people who are in your immediate proximity